Well, it's a pleasure to welcome to MSU today an acclaimed public speaker, consultant, author, and successful business owner. Her latest book, Food Bullying, How to Avoid Buying BS, which came out last November, has already snagged a gold medal Ippy Award and continues her passionate quest to, quote, getting back to the truth about food and food choices. She is Michelle Payne, founder and president of Cause Matters, and I might say also a very proud and fiercely loyal Spartan alumna. Michelle, thanks so much for your time. Well, thanks for having me, and go green. And go white for sure. Michelle, let's start, uh, since uh, we'll get on the uh, into the book and some of the other things in a moment, but how is it uh, that you ended up at Michigan State University, grew up outside of Jonesville, Michigan, went to Litchfield High School. How did you end up at Michigan State? Well, it was pretty simple. I went there for 4-H exploration days, and I fell in love with the beauty of Michigan State University's campus. Was there ever, uh, you you come from a strong agricultural background, did that have anything to do with it? Well, it sure did, and I was also there for the Michigan Convention for FFA as well. Um, Because I paid my own way through college, I had the luxury of deciding where I was going to go. Uh, Michigan State was top of the list. I did look at Cornell for a little bit, and then I saw the tuition and decided Michigan State looked fabulous. Well, you mentioned paying for your own way, and like a lot of uh, students in the College of Ag and Natural Resources, some of that money came from uh, your cows. It did. I grew up uh, with registered Holsteins, bought my first one when I was nine year old, nine years old, and I'm still addicted today, as my husband likes to tell me. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're still raising dairy cows. I thought that might come out later in the uh, interview, but uh, you've got your daughter following in your footsteps. Yes, yeah, she bought her first heifer when she was nine years old, and I was a nice mom and gifted her with the cow family that I invested in that largely paid for my education at Michigan State. Um, I bought that family when I was 12, and she's now showing them. And it certainly is a a moment of pride when I see her out there uh, showing them and working with them. Well, uh, yes, following your Facebook page, there's no doubt about the pride, not only of the cows, but your daughter, for sure. Uh, Michelle, you you had an interesting academic background at Michigan State. You actually did two degrees. Uh, Tell us about it. I did. I started out in animal science, and then you recruited me into A&R communication. So I actually finished in five years and had two BS degrees. Uh, So my initial um, idea was to go into pre-vet, and then I was elected a state FFA officer and decided that I probably didn't want to stay in school that long and couldn't afford vet school anyhow. And and in all seriousness, I was very grateful to you for helping me find ag communications and the diversity of programs through that. Yeah, it was kind of a, a tough combo. The animal science degree was certainly challenging. And, uh, you, you know, you did awfully well in the ANR communication stuff for sure. Uh, but back then, did you ever envision yourself being the author of three books and a business owner uh, and, uh, you know, actually internationally known speaker? I really didn't. I I fell in love with speaking when I competed on the stage of the Michigan State FFA Convention in the Municipal Auditorium, and I knew that I wanted to be a professional speaker someday. I never thought that I would start my own business when I was 30, Um, but in retrospect, my time at Michigan State and my career in agriculture perfectly prepared me uh, for a wide array of opportunities and allowed me to really be able to reach outside of my comfort zone, if you will. 
I don't know that I ever expected to author three books because I have very clear memories of sitting in a certain professor's class with my papers having red ink all over them. (laughs) (laughs) And I've always loved to write, but I can't honestly say that I ever anticipated writing one book, much less three. Well, you mentioned the books and uh, the the latest book that was out, as I mentioned in the intro last November, uh, Food Bullying, How to Avoid Buying B.S., uh, Recipient of an Ippy Gold Medal. Congratulations on that in the category, I believe, health, medicine, and nutrition. Uh, a little bit of the genesis of food bullying and uh, you know how it came about, why you wrote it, what were you trying to do? Well, I'm really tired of people being told that their way of eating is wrong. And throughout the course of my career as a professional speaker, I've seen my friends, my colleagues, uh, consumers be more and more fearful of their food. I believe food should be about celebration. I also believe deeply in choice, choice not only on the food plate, but also on the farm. So food bullying really takes a hard look at the $5.75 trillion food business that's out there and the crazy claims that are made around food, particularly on the heels of a pandemic as as we are all trying to get through COVID-19. I think that we've seen a lot of opportunities to get back to the basics in nutrition and also to realize the importance of family the importance of family tradition, and the importance of food as part of that family tradition. Unfortunately, I also see a lot of manufacturers, celebrities, and non-experts, shall we say, um, perhaps try to leverage people's fear and health concerns around food. And to me, food is food. It's as simple as that, and it doesn't need to be so complicated. So really, I wrote Food Bullying uh, to try to help people understand that they are indeed being bullied on a neuroscience level, on a psychological level, and the emotions that are resulting from that, quite frankly, are unnecessary. I'm Kirk Heinze for MSU Today, and she is Michelle Payne, passionate MSU alumna, uh, author, and president of her own business. We're talking about her latest book, Food Bullying, How to Avoid Buying BS. One of the points, uh, having read all three of your books, one of the points that you make over and over again in food bullying is one of the biggest problems is people sometimes don't even realize they're being bullied in their food choices. They don't. And when you go to the grocery store, you might be surprised to find out that you have to sort through 200,000 plus claims. Uh, By my estimation, there's around five claims on each of the 40,000 food packages that you would find in the average grocery store. And so you may not realize that the term, quote, all natural, unquote, is a bullying term. But in my opinion, it is because it does not have a distinction. It's not measurable and it's not regulated. Therefore, it's marketing. And so that is an example of bullying on a food package. There's also examples of celebrities uh, such as Dr. Oz and the Food Babe that can bully with misinformation uh, and scare people about food in the name of selling a product or building their platform. And then there's the other um, infamous mom groups or parent groups where you're not accepted you're not allowed to bring snacks if you don't have the right brand on the bag if you don't have the right claims on the food packages so when you go through the book i actually came up with several different levels of food bullying to try to illustrate to people that we all likely have been bullied and we also are food bullies ourselves 
I mean, Kirk, I, I like to um, help my husband understand why he can't cook corned beef hashed. And he accuses me of being a food bully. And he's probably right. <laughs> so. Yeah, the uh, you know, the, the, the last category that you mentioned, the, the, the things that I found so troublesome. You give examples of uh, kids bringing snacks to school, for example, and teachers who actually disparage the child uh, for, and the child really has no idea uh, why he or she is being disparaged and, and goes home to mom and dad with uh, just feeling horrible. Yeah, and, and why does food have to make people feel bad? Um, because it's a basic necessity. And one of the things I highlighted in the book was Maslow's hierarchy of needs and related that to food buying needs. And an example you mentioned, that actually came from Northern Michigan and a beautiful area of the state. And I had a friend message me over Facebook to tell me how his daughter, who I believe was nine at the time, was bullied by her teacher um, for bringing in jello that had fruit in it because it was considered a dessert but she was allowed to bring in an entire large box of Cheez-Its and eat as much as she wants. And another example in the food bullying book that hits particularly close to home because uh, birthday cakes are a big deal around here. We like to celebrate with food and we do so in a fun way. And so we always have a large birthday cake celebration for our family's birthdays. And the example in the book actually came out of Australia where a mom of six had baked a chocolate cake um, for the child's birthday the night before and sent a piece of cake and the child's lunch to school. And the child in turn, who I believe was a kindergartner or a six-year-old, uh, the child received a note with a large red frowny face and said, please make better food choices. You cannot bring this in. It is in such and such category. And my question is, is what right does a school or a teacher have to be making food choices for a family? Uh, every family does nutrition differently. Every family does food differently. And that's a choice that needs to be preserved. And again, food should not be about condemnation, but celebration. My guest is Michelle Payne. We're talking about her latest book, Food Bullying, How to Avoid Buying BS. The uh, the food bullying book really uh, continues uh, a lot of the work you did in your first two books. Uh, the first one, No More Food Fights, and then Food Truths from Farm to Table. Uh, but this is sort of a culminating uh, uh, book because you actually offer strategies whereby people can avoid, recognize and avoid the bullying, which will eventually lead to the no more food fights and uh, a greater realization of food truths. I think it's interesting. Most people don't stop back, step back and think about the psychology of food or the neuroscience behind food choices. And studies have been done in both. And when you look at the psychology of misinformation, it's clearly proven that our brains actually will hold on to misinformation until we replace it with concise facts, stories that relate and, and so forth. So if you happen to be on the food side of the business and you want to overcome misinformation, you need to know that you basically have to plant that in the brain to overtake the piece of the misinformation that's already there. But on the neuroscience side, it was really fascinating when I was doing the research for this book because there's been some brand new research that's been done on how the brain processes information, where it processes it, and then how it processes 
around new technologies in food. And the study that Tyler Davis did out of Texas Tech is actually really interesting because he used fMRI, which is a relatively new technology. It's been used for 25 years. And what he found is that our brain processes information differently um, and the emotional part of the brain or the rational part of the brain, depending on the food technology. So if I, believe, if I recall correctly, animal welfare and sustainability were the two new food technologies that were considered to be more acceptable by the brain. So that actually went to the emotional part of the brain to be processed. Whereas technologies such as antibiotics, hormones, and GMOs, the brain considered to be higher risk. So when the brain is confused or when the brain is fearful of information around food, what it does is it will send it to the rational part of the brain and basically sit and spin. And so the brain cannot process the information accurately because of the fact that it's basically just sitting there and processing and processing and processing. And as a result, there's more confusion and more fear. Yeah. One thing uh, to, to eliminate the confusion, eliminate the fear. Uh, again, you give strategies on how people can do that, but the nice thing, uh, one of the compelling things about all three of your books is, and you just mentioned some of that, is that you always are going back to the science to justify some of your recommendations. Absolutely. I believe in science and I love science, but if you are in academia or if you're a scientist listening to this, please know that science doesn't sell and it has absolutely no sex appeal. <laughs> and I mean no offense whatsoever to folks, but the reality is, is we make decisions on emotion. Um, it's proven in science that we make food decisions on emotion. And likewise, most people don't understand science. So when you look at a topic, for example, GMOs or bioengineering, most people don't understand the science of genetics. And when you consider some of the studies that have been done that shows over three quarter of the population thinks that our food should be labeled if it has DNA in it, it's a bit problematic to explain genetic engineering. So I would suggest that the science is critically important. And yes, Kirk, I, I spent a tremendous amount of time. I believe between the last two books, there's over 200 pieces of cited research. And I tried to be sure that it was as unbiased as possible. But what we in agriculture and really anyone in science needs to do is a better job of translating the science and the, the details of why we do what we do when it comes to food. I'm talking with Michelle Payne, in addition to being an author, uh, she's also a consultant and uh, a high, de in high demand public speaker. Let's take a look at some of the other work that you do, Michelle, uh, going around the country and talking to uh, a lot of different groups, not only about uh, food bullying, et cetera, but you also deal with some uh, issues, uh, larger issues in agriculture. And of late, uh, there have been some tough times on the farm. Talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges in agriculture right now, some of which almost seem unprecedented. Uh, they sure do. And I think unprecedented, unprecedented has largely been overused during the pandemic. But unfortunately, agriculture has faced times unlike any we've seen before. When you look at the backup at the processors resulting in animals not being able to be processed, when you consider the fact that uh, thousands and thousands of pounds of milk have been dumped and millions of pounds of produce have been plowed under, it's a really sad time. I think it's difficult if you don't raise food to understand the depth of despair that it brings when your product can't be brought to market to feed people, particularly combined with empty grocery store shelves. And so 
when you consider what's going on in the big picture of agriculture, we will get through this. But unfortunately, prices are at an incredibly low point. It's nearly impossible to make money in agriculture, and the stress level is truly unprecedented. Um, unfortunately, suicide rates amongst farmers are nearly double the general population. And many farmers specifically or ranchers really find their identity and what they do versus as a human being. So if they lose their farm or ranch, it's often difficult for them to overcome that. So one of the things that I've been working as a speaker and, and providing webinars have been around mental health to help erase the stigma that there is around mental health and agriculture to provide science to some of the agricultural folks to remember to laugh, that there is actually scientific proof about the value of laughing at least 15 times a day, and also to equip uh, people with some different tools where they can turn. And I know Michigan State has done a great deal in that area as well. Um, but at this point, I think we all have to reach out and be able to help out. Yeah, the, one of the messages that you've uh, that you've been consistently uh, promulgating over your career is no matter uh, whether it's good times or bad economic times or social times on the farm, it's still important for the agricultural community uh, to convey the uh, the importance of the industry, the, uh, how vital it is. Uh, even maybe when you're not feeling particularly good about uh, the, the the profession, you can't uh, discontinue to make those messages known to the broader public. Well, exactly. I believe it was a study that came out of Michigan State about five years ago that actually showed that seven, 75% of Michiganders hadn't been on a farm or ranch in the last five years. So my question to everyone who's listening out there is, do you know where your food comes from? And do you know the people behind your food? If you said um, no to either of those questions, I would strongly suggest that you can connect with a farmer. And you're welcome to reach out to me on my causematters.com website um, or th certainly through this podcast because it is essential for people to know the real story from the real people that are raising food. And if you're in the agriculture community and listening to this, uh, please know that every time you choose to engage, you are a reflection of every farmer and every rancher out there. And my question to you would be, what are you reflecting? Because we need the uh, right information told about food today. And unfortunately, sometimes our independence is also our greatest weakness because we don't always work well together. So I would just encourage everyone to meet at the center of the plate and try to find some commonalities uh, to be able to connect around both farm and food. Yes, uh, a theme through all three of your books and many, many presentations that you've made uh, over the years is the importance of consumers and people in the industry and nutritionists and doctors, uh, pediatricians, et cetera, to come together and just talk to one another. Yes, the conversation is so critical and the conversation about where food comes from, the conversation about the truth in agriculture, the conversation about mental health. Uh, sometimes those have been difficult conversations to start. And all of them are critically important um, if we want to try to really get at the root of what's going on and to focus on the future. Uh, as you look forward, uh, Michelle, and I know it's difficult to, to predict these things, but, you know, uh, particularly backbreaking in 2020 was that so many things were looking up for uh, the agricultural sector after several tough years. Uh, milk prices were coming up. Uh, 
trade agreements were opening up, commodity prices were projecting to go higher, and then the COVID hit. And it's just like the, the agricultural community got slammed again. Absolutely. And I would suggest that everyone try to focus on the future. Uh, there is no magic ingredient to get through 2020, <laughs> whether you're in agriculture, whether you're outside of it. So um, try to focus on the future. And one piece of advice that I always try to give to every audience that I speak for in agriculture is to know what your legacy is. And for some, that's the farm. For others, that's your land. For others, it's your animals. And when you really know your why behind you, what you do, that helps you get through some of the tough times, particularly if you can step back and to see what's happening with your why. And so having been through the bankruptcy of a family farm and having been through some really difficult life situations, I understand how terrible it seems right now. But if we focus on the future, there is no doubt that agriculture is going to be as in demand in 2022 as it has always been. There's going to be great careers out there. The markets will eventually stabilize. International trade will eventually come back. We've already seen some fairly rapid improvements. Um, my prediction is, is that we're going to see some change in the logistics and pro, um, processing because of what happened during the pandemic and quarantine, uh, but it still continues to be a great business to be in. And if you don't feel that way, make sure that you get out and you chat with some people in the business and to try to understand um, a more positive perspective. I'm talking with Spartan alumna, Michelle Payne, founder and president of Cause Matters, a much in demand public speaker, uh, an award-winning author. Michelle, you uh, made a perfect segue there into the uh, last couple of questions I'd like to ask you, but uh, advice to farmers, advice to people in agriculture. Uh, college students are going through a tough time right now. A lot of them had to go home in March, uh, couldn't even uh, do the graduation at the Breslin Center uh, like back in the day when you did. Uh, young people who are looking at careers uh, in agriculture or communications in general, who are looking at all of these uh, troubled times and probably wondering about, am I ever going to get back on campus, let alone get my degree, let alone get a job? What kind of advice would you offer to the young people who might be listening to this podcast? Well, I guess you're probably only as strong as your greatest challenge. And I know that sounds trite, but the reality is, is we will get through this. My heart goes out to the high school seniors, to the college students, and everyone who has missed the very special ceremonial events in spring of 2020. But I think if we look at the big picture and we step back, whether you are a student or whether you're a farmer, whether you're an agribusiness, we work in the very best business in the world. And I full, fully believe that that will always be the case. And that's because the people. My hope is, is that we can do a better job taking care of our people in the future of agriculture. And as far as, as advice to students, um, this would be the perspective that I could offer. There was no way when I wore that green gown very proudly, very excitedly after my five years at Michigan State that I could have ever dreamt what was going to happen in the future. Um, challenges as well as great wins. And I think that if you open your mind to new possibilities, you will find that the world is an incredible place and you will find your place in it. But so many times we limit ourselves. 
I know as an undergrad at Michigan State, I thought that I needed to go into international dairy genetics, and that limited me to three companies that I could work for. And I was fortunate that one of them did hire me. And then throughout the course of my career in, in dairy genetics and working for the National FFA Foundation and e-business and starting my business, I have discovered that that has prepared me to do many different things that I have never dreamt of. And I think the one piece that college doesn't prepare you for, because there's really no preparation, is resiliency. Um, being a farm kid, being a dairy farm girl, dealing with 2,000 pound animals regularly, perseverance is a, a pretty huge character trait amongst farm kids. But I think resiliency is an often overlooked trait. And in order to get through these difficult times, you have to look deep inside of you and find that resiliency. That looks different for everyone but know that it's there. You know, I think that's uh, much of what you so eloquently said is summed up with uh, that great um, motto, that slogan, Spartans will. Uh, You certainly have been a Spartan who has been resilient and starting your own business at age 30, writing three books and doing all that you've done, uh, traveling the world. Uh, All I can say is congratulations, Michelle, and you got a Who knows what success is ahead of you? Well, thank you. And I I do want to give a shout out to the many people at Michigan State who have contributed over the years, who have helped. I mean, Kirk, yourself, you were an incredible advisor, but no one does it alone. And so often people forget where they came from and they forget to think. um, What I have done is only a result of the people that I have worked with and the people that have contributed across the years through social media um, and whatnot. And even though I unfortunately still live four hours away from Michigan State, my heart is still always a Spartan and, and my barn is green and white as a tribute to that. Well, on that note, that great green and white note, I've been talking with Michelle Payne, acclaimed public speaker, consultant, and author, also very successful business owner. She still has dairy cows on her place. Uh, you can find more information on her website, cause matters one word causematters.com michelle as ever what a pleasure it is to catch up and wish you only the best down the road well thanks for having me